Welcome back. Welcome back. It's the Deep Cover Podcast coming to you. Took a little time off to rest and recharge and uh, kind of in the, the, the slow period of the NFL calendar right now before camp starts and the preseason starts. You know, we've already had the OTAs and the mini camp. So uh, we're all kind of just, you know, prepping, getting ready. Uh, but we come to you tonight with, uh, with what I think is going to be a really interesting topic and discussion um, got a special guest to to help us do that. And uh, before I introduce him, I want to touch base with the guys, as I always do with Carrie and Chris. It's been a while since we, we, we've been on the ones and twos together here. Uh, I'll start with you, Carrie. How's everything going? Man? Good, man. I'm just excited to get back to it. Like you said, a little bit of a dead period, um, but, you know, everything is kind of ramping back up. So, Always excited to talk to you guys, man. You know, we, you know, we ch- chop it up in a group chat and keep up with each other. But, you know, it's different when we can link up and, and talk about something we love. So uh, I'm ready to get back to it. Yeah, it's always good to see you guys, man. Just see your faces. Like you said, we, we, we're in the group chat all the time. It's good to see our faces. I know Chris been out there on the courts destroying ankles. What's going on, Chris? How you been? <laughs> good, man. It, it's, it's good to, like Kerry said, it's good to get back and chop it up with you guys. Um, I'm already starting to have dreams about football, so that that it's just coming back. So I'm I'm ready to dive into it. When the football dreams start, you know it's close. It's close. And speaking yeah. of a dream, this is kind of a dream topic. Uh, it's something that I think uh, it, it it's a it's a relevant topic um, if you really want to put it in the context of the Ravens' most recent draft class. But it's an evergreen topic. It seems like it's something the fan base continuously goes back and forth with and has a debate. And, and, and one of the guys, maybe the best person, uh, I think, to kind of shepherd us in this uh, conversation is Caleb Orton. Uh, as you can see on your screen or hear through your uh, audio device, Caleb, hey, thanks for coming on with us. Appreciate you. And, uh, man, this is this is going to be a good one. Yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Been a big admirer of you guys and your podcast style. You know, this is a little new for me, so hopefully I can hold up my end of the deal. But uh, yeah, it's a fun topic, a controversial one. Those are the best kind. So I'm looking forward to this. Always the best kind. Um, Before we get into it, though, I I like to do... um, you know, the little the little promo part. I'm, I'm not great at it. I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible host, but I try to get it in. You can follow Caleb on Twitter at Maze of the Mind. Um, you may have heard um, sort of a, a, a little preview or, you know, a sort of section of this discussion that we're going to get in tonight. Caleb was on uh, Kimmy Cusick, the film study uh, pod a little while back uh, discussing this. And so, you know, if you've Check that out and enjoy that and maybe want it to hear even more. We got you covered. Uh, that's that's what we're about to get into. Um, so I'm going to start off with you, Caleb. I mean, when we talk about the Ravens and we talk about their offense, uh, wide receiver comes up a lot, uh, obviously. And tight end is also something that comes up a lot. And this year, 
like in some previous years, and I know you'll probably share some of that a little later on, they double dipped again in the draft at tight end as, as they've done a few times in the recent past. And um, we've also seen a threat, I might add. Yeah. Yeah. I I actually I'd forgot how many times they did it. I mean, you go. I mean, maybe they did it prior to this. But if you go back to 2010, which is where I started, of course, you got Dixon Pitta. Then you go to 2015. You got Max Williams and Boyle. You know, 2018, you've got Hurst and Mark Andrews. And then this year with Kohler and Likely. Uh, So sort of two things, I think, kind of coming together here. We see the Ravens again kind of doing this double dip at tight end. And then we also see the wide receiver, the free agent wide receiver market just explode. Uh, in terms of contracts. And so I know you like the fact that the Ravens approach to this seems to be a little different than, than what the rest of the league uh, is doing. Yeah. You know, and, and I think you touched on the two, two main things that, that, that touched all this off, you know, like you said that, you know, the first part of it was really that, um, that there's this wide receiver explosion. Cause I mean, it wasn't just free agency, although free agency, I think was when it kind of got on everybody's radar. There was a, a big inflation in the draft as well. I mean, you had teams climbing over each other to get into the upper parts of the first round. Uh, and I don't think anyone knows for sure whether it's going to be like that going forward. And, and, you know, the, for Ken's thing, a lot of it was, you know, everybody's saying, oh, this is a, a record-setting wide receiver draft. Well, how can that be true? And yet everybody's, you know, fighting harder than ever to get wide receivers. So that was kind of an exploration of that. But one of the things that came out talking to Ken was, what do you do about this, right? Do you just, is that just the cost of doing business and you have to get you know, you're along for the ride and you pay whatever you have to pay or, or are there alternatives out there? And, uh, you know, then this, you know, a draft, we took two tight ends with, you know, two plus starters, although already on the team. And I, I think that says something when, you know, one tight end, I think, you know, you could have just brushed off and said, okay, they're, 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 you know, getting some insurance for Boyle's health. But when they took two, I was like, no, I, I think this means something. This means something schematically. So, uh, yeah, you know, that's what I'm hoping to get into here to talk about all that. Yeah, we kicked that around in the group chat a little bit. Uh, we talked about those previous years where they did this double dip. And, you know, I, I, I believe them, right, when the Ravens say, look, we evaluate players – we grade players, we stack them on the board, and we try to stay true to the board. So do they go into drafts with this you know, preconceived notion that, hey, we're going to take two tight ends? I don't necessarily think they do, but when it's happened those four times and you know, since 2010, like, like we mentioned, it, it seems like you, like you said, I think you, you phrased it the right way, you framed it the right way, that it means something, right? Maybe it wasn't necessarily preconceived, but it might not have been entirely coincidental either in, in on some level, you know what I mean? It meant something. Um, so I, we talked about that a little bit and uh, we were hoping that we'd get into that some, and I, and I think that we probably will, but um, yeah, there's, there's something more there than just like coincidence that these, did these, could these look, could these guys have happened to be the highest graded players on their boards at those picks? Certainly, certainly. Um, could that have happened four other times since 2010? That seems a little harder for me to, to believe. It's possible, but a little harder for me to believe that there wasn't kind of more to 
the thought process um, in that. But. Yeah, the, like you said, I think you kind of see this two ways, or maybe a mixture of both. That either they are ready to make a schematic change, or likely was far and away at the top of their board. Because I mean, they've they've said when they take a position, more often than not, they will discount kind of everybody else who's part of that position. You have to be, you know, way better than the rest of the board to kind of beat out positional need after the you know first player or two that they take because that's the thing too that at a certain point you run out of snaps right you know you run out of practice time you run out of snaps you run out of rolls on the field uh you're not going to do any good if you just create a log jam and then end up giving away the players i mean we've seen that at certain positions uh in the past where where the ravens have had to deal players because they just don't have enough roster spots. So, but I don't think that's the case here. I think the Ravens know that they can use all these guys. So shall we talk about it? Let's do it. All right. So like, you, you, you know, I wanted to kind of start by, by talking about both players and kind of what I see that they have in common. And, and I think one of the interesting things about both of them is that they were the primary receiving threat on their respective teams. I mean, Kohler to an almost ridiculous extent. I mean, they, they, their whole passing game went through him. But uh, honestly, I mean, that was it was fairly true of Likely, too. And it's interesting to me because you, you see a little bit more of this where you've got tight ends being major passing threats on their team. And it's usually not the major, major programs. You know, and when I started reading comments that coaches made about receiving tight ends, one of the things that came up was this is kind of their way of winning the recruitment war in the sense of a lot of high-end receiver talent. You know in high school they're good, generally, and the Alabamas and Ohios and all that, they come knocking. Um, and, you know, you could get lucky with a three-star or, or, or maybe you can convince a four-star that, you know, to, to, to stay home instead of going to one of the big schools. But tight ends are different because a lot of tight ends in college didn't play tight end in high school. You know, a lot of them are wide receivers who didn't kind of grow yet. A lot of some of them are quarterbacks like Travis Kelsey was. You know, they're coming from different backgrounds. So there's a lot more projection and development involved for a college coach to get a good tight end on his team. Yeah, uh, I think you've definitely seen. It's, it's interesting because I think there was a time and I don't think it was in the too distant future in college football where, um, you know, teams had essentially moved away from having a tight end. I mean, we, we all kind of know about the fullback and the death of the fullback, but a lot of teams had really even kind of moved away from having a tight end. Right. I mean, if you go back, man, it's hard to believe it's been, it's been around this long, but I'd, I'd say it's been around at least 20 years now, maybe, maybe more than that. It's sort of like when the spread really kind of hit, you know, the air raid spread kind of really hit and took over the up tempo, all of that stuff. Um, it was all about getting your fastest, quickest guys, on the field, spreading defenses out and just attacking them horizontally, vertically, you know, every way you could. Um, and and you kind of saw tight ends sort of phased out uh, in those offenses. But you've seen a resurgence, I think, of them at the college level. Uh, and to your point, maybe a little bit more kind of the mid-major level or, or maybe even a level below that, maybe not quite as much at the Power Five, even though you can. You can look at a school like Georgia. Georgia's got some legit studs. <laughs> They've got like three of them, like two or three of them. 
And it was interesting watching them this year. I saw some similarities uh, to, to the Ravens offense, just in terms of what they do with tight ends and kind of using multi-tight end sets and some of the things they wanted to do there with, uh, who is it? It's Bowers, Washington, and I think there might be one other dude there. It was pretty good, too. I know Bowers and Washington for sure. Um, well, and it's interesting, too, to think about some of the blue blood tight end programs, you know, like Iowa and, and um, Notre Dame are the two that come to my mind as ones that produce tight ends regularly. But it's interesting because a lot of these smaller schools, that tends to be where the like the, the, the volume receiving tight ends come from. A lot of these bigger programs, they tend to be blocking first and foremost. But but to your point about, you know. Uh, programs not using tight ends. I think a lot of that is the other part of the spread offense is you can run it fast, right? It's, it's simple plays tend to be kind of minor variations on one another. You can go fast. And the thing about tight ends is I think their biggest strength in a lot of situations is their positional versatility. Where you've got to be able to have a complex enough scheme and the ability to coach that scheme to those college players you know, in a, in a timely fashion to get what you can out of the years of eligibility. There's some challenges on the coach's end in terms of making effective use of a tight end, I think, whereas wide receivers maybe are a little bit more straightforward, I think. But it's an advantage to be had, and some coaches definitely have used it to good effect. Yeah, and Chris and Kerry, hey, you guys, I should, I should hit you guys up on some of this stuff too. What do, what do you guys think about that? Um, in terms of, you know, we start to see these tight ends kind of being used in different ways now in college. And um, we've seen it in the NFL the last couple of years, but um, it's interesting to me how it kind of ebbs and flows that way. We saw them and they kind of faded away. Now they're kind of coming back again. You know, when they were around the last time, they were different. They're used in different ways. They're basically like a six offensive lineman way back. Um, but but now they're kind of kind of used in a, in a different way. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I, I think I agree with what Caleb says about the development of the position in college. It's like a lot of these guys, they're not coming in as tight ends. Like Brock Bowers was a tight end. So when he came in, he already knew, you know, what he needed to do. And that's why he was able to have such a great freshman season. But a lot of these guys, like Caleb said, they're converting from wide receiver like in Travis Kelsey's uh, Travis Kelsey's case, he was a quarterback. So there's a, a big learning curve there. And it's like, how much time and effort do these coaches really want to put into coaching up tight ends? Like it's, it, this is not a, it's not a guarantee that they'll be around forever. So they want to get these, you know, fast guys on the field. And like Caleb said, it's much easier to develop a wide receiver who knows the position, knows how to run routes, knows what to do than to, basically teach a guy from scratch how to block, where to line up, and how to play in the middle of the field compared to the outside of the field where they were in, in high school, it's a big difference. So um, we're, we're seeing that, and we're seeing more high-end uh, tight ends come out now as far as in the college ranks. And I think with guys like Brock Bowers and, you know, um, Kyle Pitts, we're seeing these, you know, ultra-talented, athletic tight ends come out and actually want to play the position now because they're getting some looks now and they're they're able to kind of dip their toes in and, and be the star and be the vocal point of offenses now so i, I think we're, we're seeing that kind of shift a little bit 
So, so fun fact about pits, when I was like uh, rustling around trying to be like, okay, where are these, these coming from? I was, I was convinced that I was going to read that Pitts was a wide receiver in high school. He was a tight end yeah. all the way through. Like I'm, I'm going down the who's who of tight ends and basically every single one of them started at another position except for him. And he's like the <laughs> wide receiver, wide receiveriest tight end I can name. <laughs> yes, Gary, I wanted to hit you on that too because that's a, and that's a that's a, a great point that uh, Caleb and, and both Chris mentioned. So you can see the NFL and and probably even college level too, since we're, we're kind of straddling both. They're looking for those guys now. Right. They're looking for that player um, who is essentially a big wide receiver. Right. Is essentially what a lot of these guys are. Obviously, they have some blocking responsibilities and they're involved in the run game, but they're essentially big bodied wide receivers. And so uh, what do you think about that in terms of, you know, this kind of being um, something that's coveted now, even at those lower levels, like to, to, to Caleb's point about Kyle Pitts, like, look, if you've got a guy who's already in that mode, right? Who can already do those things, who has the body type. Uh, maybe you just keeping that tight end because you know, like, hey, that allows us to do some different things offensively. And it's probably only going to benefit him now, now in this current environment going forward in terms of being recruited at college. And certainly if you think he's good enough to play at the next level because everybody's looking for these guys. Yeah, I think it's really interesting this team's commitment to leverage that like like Caleb said you take Kohler you take the one off the board okay it could be Boyle um kind of insurance it could be you know just having a guy behind uh, behind Andrews but then when you look at the likely pick and you look at just the versatility of both of these guys you know it gets your wheels spinning it gets you to start thinking how many teams would make two selections like this with the tight ends they already have in the room and have, um, you know, an organizational commitment to say, I'm going to take these guys, I'm going to develop them, and I'm going to find snaps for all of them. You know, when you look at, and I say this all the time about this offense and, and the Ravens in general, uh, all of these teams, you look at how many teams the Ravens defensively are built to defend literally all of them how many teams in the nfl are built to defend the ravens not very many you know maybe a couple off the top of your head you know maybe you can think of but not very many so when you look at the way the board went with receiver early in the draft people trading up giving up draft capital to take these receivers uh are you going to kind of just ride the wave of that run or are you going to pivot completely off of that run and try to find an advantage in another way? And I think what we're seeing is the Ravens are trying to find an advantage in another way. And, and uh, to piggyback off of that, I think when, you, when you're chasing that, that trend or you're chasing that, you know, okay, the wide receiver run is here. We got to take a wide receiver. That's when you end up with a Prashad Perriman. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> but that that was not a Ravens pick you know they they felt like they had to they were kind of desperate and it shows and they've spoken about that afterwards and it doesn't look like they ever want to make that same mistake again so just stick to who you are and don't try to be these other teams because that's not who the Ravens are 
Well, and one of the things that I, I talked about when I was talking to Ken uh, was was just that, that you, you don't want to get trapped in that position. And really, I think what's driven a lot of this wide receiver run is desperate teams where the coach got hired for his offensive scheme. His offensive scheme is spread and wide receiver heavy. His only way of saving his job is to show that that's going to work. And then often there's a young quarterback involved and, and they're trying to prove that he does or doesn't have the decision making that he needs. And they're trying to surround him kind of with the best wide receivers they can find because that gives everybody the best shot of holding on to their jobs. You know, in some ways, just just showing excellence on the offensive side of the ball matters more than winning as far as job security to a lot of these teams. So they're willing to pay whatever it takes, you know, long, long-term team building be damned. Now I will say this, uh, throw the, the flip side of this in here. Um, and it's interesting because you can look at what happened in this free agent cycle and you can look at teams who had guys who you would say, okay, Hey, they were on the other side of this argument, right? Prior to free agency, green Bay with Devonte Adams, the Chiefs with Tyreek Hill, right? They were on the other side of this argument. But then they let both of those guys walk. And for, well, one, one, one's a trade. One's they, they let the other one walk in free agency. Um, but how do you think this defensive trend, right? We, we've, we've talked about it. Everybody, you know, it's kind of been beaten to death, the whole too high revolution, you know, big, big Fangio, uh, you know, Brandon Staley defense is kind of reemerging. And so on one hand, that would tell me, okay, well, maybe I do need to kind of move away from, you know, go all in on wide receiver trend. And maybe I want to get to running the ball a little bit more. Maybe I want to find different ways to attack the defenses underneath of those two high safeties. Or or do you look at the teams that are still, you know, pretty wide receiver dominant, whether it's the Bengals, uh, whether it's the Rams, even though you can make a case for the Rams because of how they run their offense and the scheme that they use it. You know, they, they, they've got more balance and maybe they get credit for it, even though I think with Stafford, they, they, they kind of did <laughs> abandon some of that stuff this year and just said, hey, let's just put him back in the gun and let's just go. Um, but that's a, it's a, I guess where I'm going with that is a weird juxtaposition to me. It's like you see on one hand, hey, defensive trend, maybe I should be zigging this way. But yet, because there is so much wide receiver supply, maybe I just need to keep digging into that and just keep getting these guys and we'll just find ways to get these by get these wide receivers to ball um you know if we can't necessarily go over the top you, you looked at i think a, a good example was the chiefs game earlier this year that where the ravens played where they probably played more two deep safeties in that game than they traditionally do and the goal was to try to force um patrick mahomes and obviously they didn't bring as much pressure as they're kind of known to it's to kind of force him to you know dink and dunk you know go the long hard way and and see if you can if you can contain him enough um to get the ball back on offense and then do what you need to do but as the season went on although he started out kind of struggling the early couple games of the year including that game he adjusted the team adjusted Andy Reid adjusted right and so you were still able to find a ways to combat that scheme so I don't know if I even had a question in there, but it's just like there's. there's <laughs> I, I mean, I could riff off of a few things you yeah. said. I mean, one of them, which I think is really the most interesting thing about the Rams to me, is that they have probably the best blocking wide receiver core I can think of. They have a bunch of really excellent blockers. Cooper Cup, first among them. 
you know, from both a pass blocking and a run blocking perspective. And Cooper Cup, I it's incredible someone of his kind of relatively small size and weight can block the way he does, you know, and hold up and pass blocking against defend defensive ends and move linebackers in the run game. I mean, he's he's special in that way, even though I mean I, I don't feel like he gets nearly enough credit for it. But I'll say this too. Truly excellent like wide receivers who are also excellent blockers are some of the rarest players in football. There are just not that many of them. There never has been and probably never will be. You know, the the Steve Smiths and Ancon Boldens and, and you know Cooper Cups and Roberts of the world, there's there's just never that many in the in league at one time. Yeah, and you can you can get away, I guess, with uh we've seen it with, with Mark Andrews, maybe to a little lesser extent with Hayden Hurst is they don't have to be dominant in-line blockers like a Nick Boyle in his prime or George Kittle, right? You don't necessarily need those guys to do that. They're pretty much run support blockers, right? They're blocking a contained player, which is typically going to be a DB of some type, a corner or a safety, um, or even a force player. who It might be a linebacker, but, you know, we can we, we talked about this a little bit too. Look at that trend in the league. And the body types and the weight with linebacker, you know, there's not a bunch of 240, 250 pound guys out there anymore. They're 220, you know, maybe 230. Um, and so now you've got a matchup with your guy at this tight end who's probably 230, 240. And that's a little bit more of a push, right? And a lot of times you're saying, hey, just get in this guy's way. You don't have to pancake him. Just get your hands on him and kind of dance with him a little bit. Just get in his way. Um, and so to your point, uh, finding that wide receiver. Uh, who who dominates as a blocker in the run game is a very rare player. I don't need that player at tight end. I just need him to be okay, right? <laughs> because the the kinds of the kinds of people I'm going to ask him to block, um, that's going to be something that he's capable of doing. And we've we've seen that evolution with Mark Andrews. He had to learn to become a blocker. I mean, he was a essentially a wide receiver at Oklahoma. Call him tight end. Well, and the funny thing is I thought that that Ravens trend of going after receiving tight ends and kind of converting them to become decent blockers, I thought that started with Andrews. But, you know, I really – when you go back and you see Pitta in college, he, he was pretty much a wide receiver, you know, in, in, in that offense. So, no, they've been at this for a minute. And you also have to remember that Ozzie Newsom was a converted wide receiver. So, uh, you know, he, know, he knows a little a thing or two about kind of starting on the receiver end and, and kind of learning to become a well-rounded player. But, but you, you touched on it also that, that wide receivers are shrinking. They are space players. Their job is to stretch the field in every direction. So speed is, you know, speed is, is their primary asset. The DBs are getting smaller and faster as a reaction. The tight ends are just as huge as they ever were. Right. So, so, so that matchup advantage in the run game, at least, is, is getting larger. Um, and, and, you know, speaking of rare types of players, you know, when you see the Derwin Jameses of the world, these very large, very fast, you know, pseudo linebacker sized safeties, I honestly think that's one of the most valuable things they bring to the game. Hmm, we might have taken one of those this year. You know, uh, in, in terms of you, a player that no compromises can can go up against a tight end in the run game and in the passing game. 
Yeah. And one one interesting point I'll I'll kind of piggyback off Mike how you talked about this too high kind of revolution. What's so interesting about it from the Raven standpoint is uh that is the uh kind of optimal way to to go about this. You know, you look at a team like the Chargers, they refuse to put players in the box. They're inviting teams to run and, you know, take these four or five-yard gains because the math is telling them, well, at some point in this drive, somebody's going to screw something up, and then they're going to have to punt, and then they're going to come off of the field. You can't do that against the Ravens. You cannot play too high and expect to get them off of the field because they're just going to run it down your throat, and, and they can do so in such a varied fashion that um, – you know, it just creates just this uh, disadvantage. And, you know, like in, like anybody else, I love wide receiver play. I'm always thinking about, um, well, you need to have somebody out there that can stretch the field, that can keep, um, you know, the the defense honest, that can keep the, the safeties back. But, you know, innately, a lot of these teams that want to keep the safeties back have to bring them up when they play the Ravens at least – you know, to some degree. So, you know, a lot of times you have a defense that wants to play one way and you're forcing them to play left-handed. So, you know, why not lean into that, you know, that, that, that ability to make the team that you're playing uncomfortable, you know, even if they can be somewhat effective at it, it's still not what they want to do at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and you know when people talk about how tight ends can be used, one of the interesting things about them is that tight ends are one of the few players that you can play almost anywhere. They can be used as as uh, as fullbacks, as halfbacks, as inline players, as slot players. You know, if you're a Travis Kelsey, or, or you know, we use Mark Andrews this way sometimes. You you can put them out wide. So, uh, you know, you, you put them on the field, you see who the defense puts them against, and then you move them around until you're aware that defender's not used to operate. You know, you make a, the, an outside corner operate inside. You make a linebacker operate out in space. As long as you've got a, you know, a quarterback that can handle all of the pre-snap adjustments, and I think Lamar is definitely getting to that point in his development – you can really mess with the defense's head if you've got a group of kind of versatile tight ends. And, you know, I think that's really the biggest thing that Kolar brings to the table, that I think he is very Mark Andrews-like in the sense that after we coach him up, I think he he has the size and the tools to operate in line, Um, but you could conceivably use him as a whiteout really wanted to not on a full-time basis obviously but but in a in a to to exploit a specific matchup you definitely could yeah i think that's a great point i think him and likely having those kinds of guys in addition to mark andrews you just talked about how just tight ends um in general can really dictate um what the defense does right they really kind of have to show their hand And if you think about having a guy like Andrews, who's already established himself as one of the best tight ends in the league, everybody knows what kind of receiving threat he is on defense. I mean, he's seeing double teams and special coverages, that kind of thing. Um, But then, you know, you can put him out there and then you say, okay, well, we're going to put him out there with a healthy Nick Boyle 
We're going to put him out there with a Patrick Ricard. We're going to put him out there with an Eric Tomlinson. And it can become more difficult for Mark Andrews, and that balance kind of swings back a little bit because the defense can sort of say, okay, I know who those players are. I know what those guys are going to do, and I'm not threatened by what those guys can do. But now you bring on guys like Kohler and Likely who are receiving threats, who are athletic mismatch threats in terms of, of, of Likely probably um, the first one that comes to mind. And people may look at his testing and say, wow, he tests really well. Just go watch him play. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't seem to have any kind of athletic limitations uh, on film when you watch him play, regardless of how he tested. And Kohler's no slouch either. I mean, you talked about him just as measurables. I mean, he's a tall, long athlete. Uh, he's probably a little bit more of a polished route runner at this at this point, if you were just to compare the two, you know, where they are right now. And he certainly sounds like a guy who cerebrally thinks about route running in terms of how to set guys up, how to create separation. And so now if I can put two or three of those guys on the field, obviously, you know, you've got the initial thing that the defense has to decide from a personnel matchup. How do we want to match that up? Do we want to play nickel? Do we want to put another true DB body type out there? Okay, maybe we've got a size mismatch now. Maybe my 240-pound guy against your 200, 190-pound true nickel, right? This is not like a hybrid linebacker DB, but this is a true nickel, you know, cornerback DB type um, player. Now I've got a physical mismatch, physical advantage, right? Uh, whether I want to throw the ball or whether I want to run the ball. Um, clearly, I have a physical there. If you want to play with a guy who's more of a traditional Sam, a more traditional linebacker body type, you know, you think about a, uh, a Patrick Queen type body type, you know, 230 pound guy but who can run. That's fine. All right. Now I, that guy's got to play in coverage in space, right? Against guys who are probably um, going to be more comfortable in space in terms of running routes than he is in terms of coverage because it's just not something that he, it's not his trade, right? He's not a cornerback. He's not a safety, right? So he's not working on coverage technique every day. In terms of the same, in terms of the reps uh, that you know uh, a cornerback or a D or or a safety is going to be doing, so I think having these particular guys, I mean the tight end in general, right? I think we're having that conversation and just the advantage that 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 position uh, can give you on offense. But having those specific kinds of guys, I don't know that they've had that many. I mean, you could go back to Andrews and Hurst. Um, so you got two, right? Pitta and Dixon, maybe people would say Cole, maybe people would say Likely's a little in the Dixon role, kind of an athletic guy, right? But I don't know that they've had three of these guys. They've got three of these guys now. So, so I'll jump in with Likely because, like, to me, Kohler, we have some decent reference points. You know, to me, if you said he's a taller, kind of more linear, uh, maybe a little stiffer Andrews, because, like, I, I tried watching – the two of them side-by-side side college kind of cut-ups. Now, I will say the difference in the quality of their supporting cast and the scheme that they played in was so enormous that it was difficult to kind of piece together where they were relative to one another as players, even though they were playing similar roles, and I think they are ultimately similar players. Likely is just an enigma to me. Um, my pet theory is that he's really a 230 pound type of player who put on some bad weight to try to make weight at the uh, at, at the combine and he didn't test well as a result but 230 pounds is, to me is more fullback weight so to, to be honest with him i see likely i actually think kyle Uzcheck. 
I mean, maybe you guys think I'm throwing shade at him with that, but but I, I don't think that's a bad comparison at all. And, and you know, I think Juszczyk is the best pass-catching fullback in the league, has been for and is, is a super valuable part of his, his offense. So that's kind of maybe where I'm hoping that, that likely is going to be operating in a halfback, fullback role, you know, because I think he can give you a little bit more in space than Ricard can from a pass-catching perspective. For me, the, the missing part of the equation is, can he give you 80% of what Ricard can as a blocker? because they are two very different body types. I mean, everybody calls Ricard 300 pounds. I think he plays more like 270, 280, but that's still a huge difference. <laughs> it's a big boy. That is a big boy. But that's, a, that's an interesting point um, about likely. Um, I'll toss it to you, Kerry, just to get your thoughts. First thing I thought about when I saw him, and I guess it's probably because I'm framing everything in the Greg, in the Greg Roman offense uh, context was he reminded me a little bit of Delaney Walker. I was like, you know what, when he, yes. when they had Vernon Davis and Delaney together where Vernon was kind of playing more of the, the move tight end Joker tight end role. Delaney was kind of a little bit H back role right before, um, you know, Delaney, I think he might've gone to the Titans at that point and, and became kind of more, you know, true tight end. That's kind of who, who likely reminded me of, um, a little bit, and like I said, it's probably because I'm trying to fit him into my vision of how I think they're going to use. But what you what you think about likely, Gary? Yeah, that was my exact thought. My exact comp was Delaney Walker, and I think Look about how he was right used track. in Tennessee, right how New England has used um, it, you know that that you know that's just what I see for him. I, I see that kind of role, and and when you look at the play action opportunities this offense has had over the years. And you get uh, guys like Boyle and um, uh, Ricard in these heavy packages and, you know, off of play action, they get pass catching opportunities. You know, they can, if they get ahead of steam, they can pick up a few yards. You know, they can, they can, you know, run through an arm tackle or two. Um, likely is a guy that, could make somebody miss likely as a guy that could turn what their 10 yard game would be into a 30 yard game. And so that's what I saw specifically with him and, you know, pairing him with Kohler is just unique at, at, you know, look at Kohler. He's a inline size guy that can be that wide, but then, you know, as Caleb pointed out, then you got likely who, who can be a wide, but he also is like this H bat four back guy that you can just kind of hunt mismatches with. So, you know, just having two of these guys that, you know, they're just chess pieces at this point, man. And, and to have these guys when you already have them, Mark Andrews is, is, is really, really intriguing. Well, and I think one of the, sorry. Yeah. Let me, let me get Chris in real quick on that too. Just your thoughts on, uh, we, we kind of focused on on uh, Isaiah Likely here and kind of what kind of player you see him as uh, within their offense. But if you, you want to lump in Kohler and that, you can do that too. Yeah, um, it's it's funny because I see a lot of similarities uh, between uh, Ed Dixon and the Pitta picks and Kohler and the Likely picks. Like It's kind of similar when you see the their play styles. Like 
and at Oregon, Pitta was, I mean, at Oregon, Dixon, he was more of the athletic guy that kind of yards after the catch dude with a little more wiggle to his game. And then you have Pitta, who was more cerebral with his route running. You know, he wasn't a terrible athlete, but he wasn't a great athlete either. But he knew how to get open and he caught the ball. And you kind of see those similarities with these two guys. Um, and the reports, because I, I was a bit higher on Kohler coming out after watching him than I was likely. But then you see the rave reviews that he got from coaches, from veterans, where they're like, this dude likely is a baller. Like, we're really impressed with him. So it's like it, it gets you excited to see where these guys are, because I'm not I'm not really worried about Kohler because, you know, I've listened to certain podcasts with him on and just the way he talks and the way he goes about the game. You could tell he's just going to try to improve like on a different level, not just I want to get faster. I want to get stronger. Like he's like, I, I want to beat double teams, which is what he had to do in college. Like he had some success early on and then. He starts getting more attention. It's like, all right, now I need to take my game to the next level and learn how to get open when I'm the guy that they they game plan for. So um, I, I want to see, I want to see how Kohler progresses in this. But also that the reports from minicamp with with likely just they got me really excited about him too. Well, and you mentioned earlier, well, we, we've talked about it a couple times, but, but I think one of the things that makes Roman's offense so special is that he finds ways to produce enough chunk yardage in the run game that at least when it's humming, you know, when it's operating the way it's supposed to operate, that every down is a running down. Every distance is a running distance, right? The defense cannot turn off that part of their brain at, at, at any point. Right. They be because third and 10, Lamar can rip off 10 yards on a scramble. I mean, he's done it any number of times. And uh, you've got all of these downfield blockers. So, you know, I, I, I think, uh, but I think that was a big part of what we were missing last year where we weren't getting the chunk yardage. Defenses didn't have to respect the run on longer uh, downs and distances. And, you know, the whole thing falls apart if you don't have that. Uh, and on top of that, you need to have enough pass protectors that when you go empty, you can hold up long enough for the, 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 the receivers you do send down the field to stretch that field out. And the first time that you get a couple seconds, the defense starts to spread out. And then again, Lamar rips off 15, 20 yards and then heads out the sideline. That's how you punish the blitz, you know, one of the ways, anyway, that, that, that we can punish the blitz. But part of that's the offensive line. Part of that is having enough competent blockers and enough receivers to, to generate the space and, and hold up in pass protection. And I know that's been – that was one of the, you know, probably wondering how that's going to look going into this year because of kind of what teams started to do um, even before Lamar got hurt there towards the end um, is how much they were getting pressured, how, how much teams were sending, you know, if, if not numbers, you know, sort of deception guys coming from different places. Um, obviously everybody goes back to the Miami game and, you know, those uh, cover zero looks, but really never sending more than five guys, right, and then dropping guys out. But I, I actually don't worry about that that much because I think Lamar and his offense have shown they've been really good against the Blitz in previous years. 
like when he's got all of the pieces out there in terms of you know weapons, when he's got uh, a quality offensive line that can protect him, they've shown that they can beat the blitz. So I, I don't actually have that much of a problem with that. I know that kind of became a thing, and everybody's like, "How they played so poorly against pressure." You know, teams are just going to keep doing that, and they did. But that I think that was more a function of the offensive line and the pass protection than anything else. I think teams were like, "Look, they can't protect, so we're just going to keep sending these guys uh, because your left tackle is getting pushed in your lap, right?" And I don't care who you are at quarterback, Tom Brady, Peyton Man, you can be anybody. When that happens enough times, yeah, your clock's going to get sped up. You're going to start dropping your eyes. You're going to do some of the things that is going to cause you to not see the field as as clearly as you normally would and maybe get you off of some of your answers that you actually have for beating pressure. Because, again, you're, you're these guys are humans at the end of the day. And when you're getting hit, when you're getting pressure, um, you know, even the best of them uh, can be susceptible to that. So I actually don't worry about that part of it. That was kind of a tangent. I know we weren't really talking about. No, that, that's true, though. But that, that's the part of it that gets lost in all of these conversations is how poor the offensive line was like that. That gets lost so much and just glossed over like, OK, injuries. Yeah. But every team has injuries, but they didn't have injuries like the Ravens did. And that just gets glossed over like like it was nothing. Well, and the thing with Villanueva to particular, and I remember Cole, you know, mentioned this a couple of times when he was talking about the offensive line's performance. But when Villanueva gets beat, he gets beat fast, right? When he can get his hands on the guy, you know, he has a fighting chance. You know, a lot of times he's going to do okay in that rep. But when he got beat, he didn't even get a hand on the person who's coming by. And you don't, as a quarterback, you don't know when that's going to happen. Right. All you know is that if it does, you're not even going to have time to react. So, so I, (laughs) you know, and you compare that to Stanley, who, you know, I I feel like when he loses, he loses slow. And, and Lamar knows how to work with that. He can see that coming. He can compensate for that. So, you know, hopefully we've got some, some tackles who can die slowly at this point, you know, if, if not, you know, just win outright. That would be nice. That's what they say, right? Mitchell Schwartz, uh, you know, was really good right tackle for the Chiefs for a long time. Said, "Hey, a lot of a lot of old line players, it's 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 losing slowly. You know, um, you're going up against guys who tend to be better athletes than you. Um, you know, you're backing up. They're coming forward. You know, all of the things that offensive line talk about in terms of kind of starting from a disadvantaged position." But it's really just about like, look, if you can just stay in front of that guy, if you can keep your body in between that guy and the quarterback, that can be enough, right, <laughs> at times. And, and he said – he I think he talked about this recently where he, he – yeah, he was at um, – I guess it came up because uh, I know Duke uh, Miniweather, he's doing his O-line masterminds thing this weekend. And I think they talked about it from last year. It might have been on the Athletic Podcast. That's where it's coming it's coming back to me. That was Robert Mays. And he said he, he was there, I think, last year, and he saw Mitchell Schwartz talking to Rashawn Slater just off to the side. He kind of just like, you know, floats over there not trying to get in their space, but just trying to hear their conversations, kind of standing back, but trying to hear their conversation. And Mitchell Schwartz was telling Rashawn that, look, these guys are waiting for you to make a mistake. That's it. If you don't make a mistake, they can't beat you. They're literally waiting for you to make a mistake. And then they want to attack that mistake. And then that's how they're going to work a move where they're going to go inside, where they're going to go outside, whether you throw a hand that they can now hit and use as leverage. That's what they're waiting for. So he's like, if you can just be really sound 
get to your spot. Um, you know, get get off the ball, get out of your stands, get to your spot, and then just be really sound with your hands and your feet, and don't make a mistake. Essentially, um, at least or at least not you know one that that is that is going to be tough to recover from. It's hard for these guys to beat you. So that kind of stood, that kind of stuck in my mind. Like, yeah, it's really it's really about that. They're they're waiting to capitalize on mistakes. That's how they want to beat you. Well, and you're, you're talking, we're talking offensive tackles, we're talking defensive ends, kind of drawing it back to tight ends. One of the tidbits I found when they were interviewing college coaches about why is it so hard to find a tight end, and they said one of the reasons was that offensive tackles, defensive tackles, defensive ends, and t- uh, tight ends basically all come from the same pool of bodies. 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, long arms and legs, good athletes. And, you know, given if they develop early enough, why would you take a less lucrative position like tight end, right? You can get paid as a defensive end or an offensive tackle. So in a lot of cases, kind of people take indirect to end up at, at, at tight end. And, you know, you, you can see some players like, you know, Graham back in the day trying to escape it, right? <laughs> he wants to be a wide receiver if he can. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So it, it, it's interesting to think about that, you know, there's only so many humans with that kind of size and shape and, and, and given a choice, they might decide not to, to do tight end. They might decide to do something else. I mean, for what it's worth, J.J. Uh, Watt started life as a tight end. But uh, have you seen pictures of J.J. Watt early in his college career? Oh, my God. The man was a twig. Look, look it up. I won't even recognize <laughs> It's interesting. A lot of these tight ends, too, it, it is a developmental kind of thing because they, they'll get into college. You know, they're, they're being recruited and these guys might be 200 pounds, 210 pounds, but they'll be six, five, six, six, like you said. And, you know, these strength and conditioning coaches will say, look, we can probably get 30, 40 pounds of good weight on this or more. Like you said, because because many of these guys do start out as tight ends and end up playing tackle. I can't remember how many times Chris and I, when we were looking at offensive tackles this year, how many guys started as tight ends yeah. and ended up becoming offensive tackles. I know um, Ryman in Central Michigan, he played tight end. For, he played a couple different spots, but he played tight end and, and, and eventually turned into an offensive tackle. And there were a couple other guys that we talked about too. So it makes total sense. I mean, just from uh, you know looking forward perspective and kind of projecting, all right, hey, where do I want to be? Where are my best opportunities going to be? The tight end, eh, yeah, they do okay, but they don't get paid like defensive ends and offensive tackles. And it's, I think you talked about this on Ken's podcast and um, may have mentioned it in, in your notes that you sent me too, just how hard it is to develop that position, not only at the Casa, but in the NFL. You know, how, how much you have to learn. You literally got to learn everything. You got to learn the run game. You got to learn, you know, the passing game in terms of route running. And coverages, you got to learn um, pass protection. So you literally got to learn everything, uh, and that, that's a just coming into the professional ranks is a big enough learning curve. But that particular, well, we, talk, we, we we touched on it earlier that one of the reasons I think wide receivers are translating faster than ever is because uh, offensive coordinators are learning how to play them narrowly, to play them in committees. And honestly, I think that's the Ravens' approach with our wide receiver core. Everybody but Bateman. I think everybody but Bateman is pretty much going to have, you know, 
some some niche some grouping of plays that that they know they're particularly strong at and that they're going to be applied to tight ends the whole point is versatility the whole point is how many things they can do so if they can only do one or two things they're not fulfilling kind of their role within the offense so that development that you can kind of sidestep a little bit with wide receivers is is necessary with tight ends in order for them to do kind of what they're there to do. Uh, and, and the more development that you need to do for a player, it, the more projections involved in, okay, I've never seen him do this, but I think he can. And the more of that that you have in there, the more risk that, that there is. And, and I think, you know, we've, we've touched on it early in the conversation, but I think we need to recognize that there's actually a pretty decent bus rate for tight ends. Um, and, and that the Ravens have managed to dodge that for a very long time. I mean, we've picked a fair number of tight ends in our history, and every single one of them that I was able to find has gotten a second contract somewhere, if not with the Ravens. You know, they stayed in the league. I mean, we, we think of Dixon as kind of the, the, the failure in that pairing, but I mean, he played in the league for years and years afterwards. You know, yeah, he, he was in Carolina after that. Yep, uh, yep. He went, he went to Carolina and he was, he, I think he, he always kind of was like a solid blocker. You know, he may not have ever really became, he might not ever reach that top end of the projection of what you thought he could be as a receiver and what you thought he could do after, after the catch. Uh, never lost his athleticism, but it just was one of those things where it's just like, man, he just never quite got to where people thought it could get to. But I think he was always a really solid blocker. And going with Dixon and kind of athletes, look at the history of first round tight ends. It's actually really interesting how few good tight ends came out of the first round. And, and like, you, when you look, they're athletes, right? You know, that's how they got there. They're athletes often from big, good, big programs that had decent production and everybody's like, oh man, their ceiling is, is, is sky high. But it's, it really hasn't been very good hit rate. I mean, when you look at the who's who of tight ends around the league, there's second rounders, third rounders, fourth rounders. They're mostly mid-round guys. So I don't know what that says, I mean, uh, uh, about the first round with tight ends, but it does, it does speak to how hard it is to draft the position well. It's impressive. I did not know that thing until you shared it about, uh, you know, the Ravens tight ends getting to the second contracts, where, whether whether it was with their home or somewhere else in the league. I mean, that's still pretty impressive. Um, and I, I think one thing about Ray, Roman's offense in particular is, you know, it is about the versatility. I think you've got to learn there's at least three, <laughs> all three different tight end positions, maybe four. That there's one I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about. There's definitely three. Uh, that you have to learn in his offense. And I think he makes th those guys learn all three. Now he may bring you along in one role over the other two, a little more gradually, right? He might not dump it all on your plate right from the very first game. I think he's going to teach you everything in OTAs and mini camps. You're going to learn the Y you're going to learn the U you're going to learn the F and the F in his offense is a really interesting position because it could be a tight end. It could be a wide receiver or it could be a fullback. Um, in terms of body types and in terms of where they line up. So you have to learn all of those positions in his offense, but he may only give you a little bit. And I think you could see that most recently with Hurst and Andrews. He kind of gradually brought them along. You know, Boyle was still sort of getting the majority of the snaps early on 
in 2018. And he was kind of giving them little bits and pieces of the different roles. And then you just kind of see what guys can handle, you know, from a week in and week out basis. And when they show they can handle something, you give them a little bit more and see how that goes. Sometimes you, you know, you give a little more, sometimes you got to pull it back a little bit because you're like, Oh, maybe I put a little too much on and they kind of took a step back this week. Um, so I think he'll probably do that. I would imagine that he would, he would do a similar thing with Kohler and likely where they're going to learn it all from a schematic standpoint. But then to start off, you may see, you know, maybe Kohler do a little bit more of the traditional why stuff, right? And maybe they detach Andrews a little bit more and kind of let him do what he does best. And to your point um, about likely, um, Caleb, I think you're definitely going to see him all over, right? You'll see him in that H-back role where he's kind of, he could be on a wing, he could be in the backfield, he could be in line, you know, he's, he's probably going to be in motion. And for him, I don't know that that's going to be that big of uh, a stretch because he did a lot of that kind of stuff in that offense he played in at Coastal Carolina. So to, I think to me, the most impressive thing about likely was how diverse his usage was. I mean, it, yeah. it was, it was pretty impressive. Yeah. So do, do I, we probably talked about those dudes a bunch. Um, <laughs> I know one of the other things we wanted to talk about was just, we've touched on it a little bit, um, but just kind of the contrarian nature of this approach to offense in today's NFL to have this multi tight end, um, you know, philosophy and approach to offense is just, you, you just don't see it with other teams. Well, and that was the thing, you know, we, we kind of live in our Raven centric world, but when I looked around the league, you actually can see it. I mean, mm -hmm. until this year, basically the Eagles were a dominantly two tight end offense and have been for, for a couple of years now, a very run centric offense. Also, you know, the Titans, were a two tight end offense for many years. And there's some, you know, the way that they, they handled their off season this year, it seems like something they're trying to get back to, particularly with AJ Brown gone, you know, the 49ers have lean on the two tight end set a whole lot. And frankly, that's been a, a Shane Kyle Shanahan thing all the way back to the Redskins when he was there. Uh, and then the Patriots loaded up on tight ends last year. That to me is the okay. When Bill Belichick thinks it's a good idea, you know, you might be onto something. See a little I forgot about those Redskins teams. You're right. Uh, Chris Cooley, right? Is kind of in that H back role, that kind of hybrid type guy. Maybe not quite big enough to be a traditional inline tiny head, but can do a little bit of everything. Or Reed, for that matter. Yeah. Now that's oh, yeah. you know yeah. that's rarefied air if if, if likely you. gets Reed comparisons, but. <laughs> <laughs> if you can get to that but i can see it i mean you can you could see that in his range of outcomes it's not something where you look at him and you say okay i don't see that i don't, I don't see how that could happen um but i can i could see that in his in his range of outcomes and it was interesting to hear greg roman talk about him they did one of those uh wired episodes i think it was around the otas and they're in the meeting right it's the offensive meeting and he's talking about likely and he's saying how he had some of those Mark Andrews moments. Right. And they're thinking back to when Mark Andrews was a rookie. And you, I remember them talking about him that way, saying like, hey, he has some reps, some plays where it's like, what are you doing out there? And then he has other plays and it's like, what are you doing? That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just one of those guys who was just like had a natural feel for running routes and creating separation, finding voids and defenses, kind of knowing the soft spots and where to sit down. And sometimes it's going to put him in places where he shouldn't be because maybe he's not sticking to the, you know, 
the letter of the law in terms of how the route is designed and how the play is designed. But at the same time, it also opens up opportunities for these huge plays because he's doing things that nobody, including his offensive coordinator, expects him to do. <laughs> but for whatever reason, he formed that immediate connection with Lamar. I just there's something about I think they just see the game the same way. There's something about how they see the game and how they see defenses. They just see it very similarly. So, so the one, the one that I saw with Likely versus Kohler, the, to your point, this, this is, connects to what you just said, you know, is, is he seemed to know what was happening on the field around him without using his eyes. And that was something I didn't see with Kohler. And that is, to me, like that's Lamar's superpower as a runner, as a pocket that somehow he is able to keep track of most of the defensive players on the field simultaneously without even looking at them. I don't know if he's able to use his peripheral vision or the mental head of where everybody probably is at any given moment. Kohler, all he could see was what was right in front of him. He had to look at a player to kind of be aware of them in space as he's trying to run after the catch likely seem to be more fluid in his kind of field awareness. And that's, that's, that's a special skill. That's one of those unteachable things that, that. When you uh, mention that about Kohler, let me ask you this, because this remi- it reminds me of this. Do you see some similarities to Hayden Hurst? Cause that's what I always thought about Hayden Hurst compared to Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews just had that natural feel, right? Just an intuitive kind of thing. Hurst was very robotic. Like it was very measured. It was like, all right, six steps, drop your hips, turn here. You could almost see it like processing, right? Not that he was a bad player. I, to this day, I, I I would still say that those his rookie year and probably into his second or third year, I thought he had the best hands on the team, regardless of why, regardless of position. Yeah. So the guy could catch the ball. But I thought he was just very kind of robotic in his route running, whereas Mark Andrews just had a little bit more of that natural feel. Do you see any of those similarities between Kohler and Likely? I mean, it sounded like my – I don't, I don't, I didn't see Kohler as robotic, but maybe compared, you know, to a guy like Likely, maybe there's a little bit less of that kind of natural, intuitive feel. See, the funny thing is, what I associate with is he just had such a violent way of moving. He's just such an exaggerated, he would throw his body around, he would really jerk, you know, uh, he would put more force than he needed to into some of his movements because he was trying to do them as fast as possible. And maybe part of the reason was because he's like, he's not sure what's happening around him. He figures that he just needs to go as hard as he possibly can. Um, no, I, no, I don't want, well, number one, I don't, don't think Kohler is the same kind of athlete that Hayden Hurst was. Hayden Hurst was an excellent athlete at tight end. Um, like, you know, arguably the best that, that the Ravens had at that position, you know, that, that, that I can think of. But um, but he definitely isn't as fluid as Andrews. That is a noticeable thing. I likely reminded me more of Andrews in that in that sense, where it was going on in the field. Like the other thing is that I Kohler didn't catch over his shoulder particularly well, that where you can sort of kind of see the ball. Um, but but you have some idea where it is, and and you know you can react at the you can correct at the, the the last second to catch it. 
that was something I saw likely do a few times. That wasn't something I saw Kohler able to do kind of at, at a high level. So I don't know. I don't know that's exactly what you asked, but I'm just, you know, rattling off. No, <laughs> just hearing that, hearing, hearing the way you described how they run routes, the different ways that they run routes, it, it kind of made me think of that because I – Look, I, I didn't mean to make it sound like I was dumping on Hurst. I liked Hurst. It was just like when I watched him, I was just like, man, that guy just looks – it just looks like it's not coming very natural to him. <laughs> you know, it's like it was it was, it was, was kind of a struggle. Uh, and, I, I think I think a good a good way to, to describe it is like something that Ed Reed brought up a few years ago when he talked about like street football, like playing football in the street where you just – you're able to kind of just freestyle on the move and have this feel like, you know, what somebody else is thinking, you know, where you have to go. And that's something that organized football sometimes doesn't always teach you. That's just something that you had, you grew up with and that's how you played growing up. And you can see that in certain player styles. Like, like you said, Mike Hayden Hurst, he's not a bad football player, but you don't see that, you know, that freestyle of, like what Mark Andrews does, where he kind of has that feel and that knack on the field to to kind of be on the same page as somebody else who has that same freestyling way like Lamar Jackson. And we can see Lamar likes – he gravitates to those kind of guys who can play that that style of football. Yeah, uh, Kerry talks about all the time about guys who have basketball backgrounds and how, you know, those guys are more creative movers just because of, you know, the way that basketball sort of lends itself to you having to do that. And I think with Mark Andrews, you, you I, look, I, I never played it. My, my kids have played it. So that's the only thing I know about. It. You might see it in soccer, too. He had a soccer background where he's a really good soccer player. Uh, and I think there's a lot of creative movement that's, that, that can separate guys. Well, at least kids. Let me say that. <laughs> I don't want to sit here and act like I watch soccer in any kind of regular way. Uh, but just what my kids are doing, I'm just like, man, you can see the way certain kids move out on the field, out on the, on the pitch uh, versus the way that other kids do. And it's like, man, there's just something intuitive about that. There's just something fluid about that versus the other kids who are, you know, everybody's getting the same coaching. And it's just a lot more like robotic, like, okay, I got to go here. The coach tells me I got to go over here. I got to wait for the pass over here. And these other kids, they're just all over the field. (laughs) (laughs) Wherever they need to go to the ball and get around defenders and get shots on goal. And it's just like, hey, there's something about that to Chris's point that, you know, you just you learn by playing in those environments um, where it's a little more open and it's not so overly coached or so heavily coached. that some guys have and, and and some guys, you know, just never develop, you know, we'll get to see Hayden Hurst again for being in division. So we get to see him a little bit more um, on the other side with the Bengals, but some guys, it just, it, they just never develop that part of their game to like a real high level. Yeah. Odell Beckham, by the way, was also another high, high <laughs> soccer player to, to the point where at least can tell it, he could have gone pro if he wanted to, but he didn't want to end up overseas. Um, Chad Johnson, so, little known, was also a pretty good soccer player before he was Ocho Cinco. Uh, he also played soccer kind of growing up. He he doesn't he doesn't talk about it a ton. He talks about it more now. I don't think he talked about it a lot back then. But you see those guys and that background and how that kind of can help and how that kind of translates to just movement, right? Not necessarily going to make you a better football player, but just movement skill, movement ability. Yeah, definitely. You can see that with um, like I go back to Mar Andrews at Oklahoma, 
you know, Mark Andrews is not the most athletic tight end in the league. But going back and watching him at, at Oklahoma, it seemed like every time he caught the ball, he was making the first guy miss. You saw that a lot. And, like, I, I see the parallels with Isaiah Likely. Um, it's just that that creative, that free movement. You know, it's kind of one of those things you can't teach. You either have it or you don't have it. And and Mark Andrews has that. And so you see that in the way that he um, runs routes. You see him, you know, being able to separate from guys. I mean, because of the level he's kind of ascended to, he's starting to get more attention of defensive coordinators. So they're, you know, they're, they're putting uh, their best, you know, nickel defender on him. They're putting safeties on him and they're putting them in situations where you look at it and like, oh, well, this guy's pretty talented. Maybe he might slow him down. And then you go out there and you just see my Andrew just, uh, Mark Andrew just beating the guy like a drum. And it's <laughs> because he just has that, that way about him. He's just that, that natural ability to understand um, when and how to move and, and understand what the defender is giving you and not giving you. And, and you see a lot of that with likely. Well, when I see, saw people talking about big slots or power slots in, in spread schemes, everybody mentions Mark Andrews like when they're talking about the theory of it and they're, they're pulling up clips and examples and sort of thing. Mark Andrews always comes up because I, he just fit that offense to a T. And what you're really hoping for is that the defensive coordinator eventually is like, I, I don't have anyone who can take this guy away. I've got to put two people on him, right? And your whole defense starts to condense into the middle of the field and you're getting one-on-ones on the outside you know, all the time. And uh, you, if you've got half-decent players out there, which we didn't have in 2019, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> you know, you can really do some things. Um, I don't remember if I gave this take or not, but, but like, I, again, I think that's why uh, the Cardinals are going in the right direction if they end up doing two tight end thing because those single coverages on the outside are Kyler's superpower, like being able to throw those kind of alert routes on, on go balls down the sideline. That's the single best thing he does other than yeah. run. Um, and, and, and if a strong running game and, you know, heavy sets can create those opportunities for him, you take it. You know, you, I, I just wonder if, you know, this is one of the situations where you brought in the head coach to be the offensive coordinator and he's famous for one thing. And is he going to be able to give up trying to make the three, four wide receiver thing work? Or, or has he learned his lesson? And, and is Kyler going to accept maybe a, a more run centric offense? I think that's a question too. I, I think it'd be in his best interest too, maybe, but you know, people have their pride. And he's played in one. I mean, they ran the hell out of the ball at Oklahoma. So, I mean, he's played in the run-centric offense. It's a little bit different now. He's in the league. It's a little bit different now. Um, I didn't know that about Oklahoma. I always figured, you know, everybody held it up as this example of the spread. I figured it was, it was you know, pass all the time, but I guess not. Now, they definitely did both. Now, look, they definitely threw the ball. Because, I mean, we talked about Mark Andrews. Obviously, Hollywood Brown had a 
you know, I think he had some historic number of like 40 plus yard touchdowns one season. So they definitely threw the ball. But if you look at them and you go back and look at all of that counter run game stuff that they were doing, a lot of the reason that yeah. I think EC was big on taking Oklahoma guys for that kind of that kind of you know period of time where he was kind of going heavy on those guys is because a lot of what they did mirrored some of the stuff that the Ravens were doing. A lot of gap scheme runs, um, a lot of QB, you know, driven stuff, even, even with Baker, they were doing some of that, not as much as they did with Kyler, but, but even with Baker, you know, doing some of the QB driven stuff. So um, I think, and when I saw him in a clinic, he talked about that. Every time you hear Lincoln Riley talk, that's what he talks about. He's like, I want to run the ball first, right? Everybody thinks we like to throw it around my offense, air raid, whatever, whatever. I want to run the ball first and foremost. And so I think they do it a little bit more than now, but that's him, right? That's Lincoln Riley. That's not Cliff. Cliff's a little bit different. Cliff is kind of more, you know, diehard, you know, air raid. Um, but to Kerry's point, I think they have been using more 12 personnel um, at least last year. Uh, I, I don't know about the year before last. So I think maybe he is starting to realize like, hey, I've got to evolve what I do a little bit, which is a good sign to me because it reminded me of like Chip Kelly. When Chip Kelly came into the NFL, Chip would not evolve what he did, right? When it when it first came in, and people aren't prepared for it, okay, yeah, you you can you can kind of jump on some people, but after people have had time to see it and they know what to expect and can prepare for it, you've got to take that next, you know, step. And I, you know, obviously, we we hear that about Greg Roman too, right? Like I created a uh, unintentional uh, sort of parallel there. <laughs> we hear that about <laughs> him a lot too. Right? He's he's got to take the next step. Right, that he hasn't, which I, you know, the Chris and Kerry would tell you, I'll argue that with anybody. I think he's already done that. I think he's shown that over the last two years that he has evolved in different ways and he has added different elements to the offense. But you got to know what you're looking at to know that he's doing that. Well, and, and I'm I'm as big of Roman defender as any, and and I remember specific experimental phases of some of the last two or three seasons where he was trying to do something radically different. And it wasn't catching. And then, you know, he gets a certain distance into into the year and he's like, all right, I, I can't, I can't uh, you know, put our defense in a bad way just to kind of keep trying to make this work. We've got to go with what we know how to do. And and then the thing is, uh, I I think I think Lamar wants to play a certain way. Uh, I, you know, I think he's a hold the ball, big play kind of quarterback. He, he, you know, he, he, he can do a little bit in the quick game, but he's not a burrow to like have these ultra precise short passes with tons of yak production. If you try to, you know, if, if you're, you're, you're trying to play that way, I, I think you're not working to his strengths. So I don't know. I think sometimes our persecution complex as Ravens players like Ray, Lamar can do anything your QB can do, you know, to the to the to the same level. And we need to acknowledge that that he is historically amazing at many things, and a lot of those are pa involve passing. But he he has weaknesses, and it's the offensive coordinator's job to to kind of uh, accentuate the strengths and work around the weaknesses. You know, and that's true of everything. Sure, that's true with every player. Every player has strengths and weaknesses. So you're not hating on Lamar if you say that there are weaknesses because every player has strengths and weaknesses. And to me, I've always said that he he like from a quarterback perspective, he's always kind of reminded me of 
a young Steve Young, like a pre 49er Steve Young, like a USFL Steve Young, right? Early on in early, you know, his his first two years. I think he's he's evolved and he's developed to that, uh, developed from that point now. And he he just the way that he plays the game, sort of the, that attacking mindset that you talk about, particularly in the passing game. He's always struck me as like an air Coriel type quarterback. Like he does want to throw the ball down the field. Can he dink and dunk? Sure. That I don't think, I don't think mentally that's how he wants to play the game. He wants to attack. He wants to throw the ball down the field. And whether that's outside the numbers, whether that's down the seams, whether that's in the middle of the field, pick your poison. He wants to throw the ball down the field. And so I think when people say, well, you know, they're not doing this or they're not doing that. I mean, you've got to play to his strengths and the things that he does well. And you can put all the quick game stuff in there that you want. I mean, we saw that dichotomy when Huntley came in. Huntley's a more timing, rhythm kind of guy. So you can put in more quick game stuff, and he's going to hit the hitches. He's going to hit the sticks. He's going to hit the back and the flat because I think that's his strength, right? And that's how he sees the game. You can put that same stuff in for Lamar, and there'll be times where Lamar will throw it on time and on rhythm and certainly throw it with accuracy. And there'll be other times where he'll say, F it. I want to throw this ball down the field. I'm going to extend this play and I'm going to make something happen because he can, because he can do it. So, you know, you're, you're going to have to always ride that, that wave with a guy who's as talented as him and who wants to attack as much as he does. Well, and we, we talk about constructing offenses and wide receivers versus tight ends. And I think part of this conception that we just want to flood the wide flood the field with wide receivers comes from kind of the new in vogue model quarterback, uh, you know, the Herberts, Allen's, the Mahomes, to some extent, Kyler. Uh, we just have a, at least in my time as a fan, a historic crop of absolutely ridiculous arms in the, in the NFL right now. And these are players who can access the deep part of the field just spontaneously, see it, hit it, throw it on a line anytime they want from weird body positions. You know, I'm, I would be interested to know if this amount of arm talent has ever existed in the league simultaneously before. I'm prepared to be told that it has, but I'm, I'm, I'm not aware of it. And Lamar has a very good arm. And frankly, I think Lamar has a better arm than he uses. Like, I've watched him gun it. I've watched him throw it on a line. But he doesn't do it very often. He doesn't seem to like doing it. He, he's, he's a touch passer, I feel. He wants to throw catchable balls. He doesn't want to beat up on, on a, a receiver, which is interesting because he's the exact opposite of Joe Flacco that way. Joe Flacco is merciless. He'll break your fingers. Um, I mean, Steve Smith said as much. He's like, I'm going to get the ball to you. What ha- what happens on the other end is your job. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard but, I remember reading stuff about, about, about him and how, yeah, he just threw it as hard as he possibly could. Um, but, but my point is that tight ends can spread the field to the extent that, that I think Lamar can access spontaneously and comfortably. There may be other quarterbacks who you can go even further than that. You know, you can go to the furthest reaches of the field. They can still hit you. Um, and, and that's fine. You know, there are monsters out there in the NFL these days. And for some reason, all of them decided to be in the AFC. 
<laughs> all there. It is. It is. Look, if you, if you get to the conference championship in the AFC, you have you have gone through the gauntlet. You have run the gauntlet. Um, you know, unless something happens, unless there's some kind of freak injury plague at the quarterback position, if all those guys are around and healthy, you have run the gauntlet to get to that game. So it's it's no easy path. Um, you know, even in their division, and you know, I guess with Pittsburgh, it's a little bit more uncertain. We know what Joe Burrow is. Um, I think we know who we know who Deshaun Watson is. We don't know if Deshaun Watson is going to play, uh, but we know who he is. So, you know, if he does, if he does play, uh, then you know that's that you're adding another uh, obstacle in your way there. And and touching on team building, because you know we're here to talk about tight ends, team building, although I, I, I forgot that for a good chunk of the podcast. But, but um, yeah, the, the Bengals are an interesting uh, test case because I feel like they are, a lot of people are going to learn the wrong lessons from them. And, you know, I think a lot of people are going to look at what the Bengals did last year and they're going to like, see, as long as you have enough wide receivers, you can do anything. Uh, you know, never mind that is like an absolutely ungodly amount of draft capital that they threw into that wide receiver room. They got a historic season out of, you know, rookie season out of chase and they hit on a rookie quarterback. I mean, all you have to do is all those three, all three of those things in a three year time span and you too can have a good team. (laughs) I'm not sure how much we can learn from the Bengals, but but, but what the real point I was trying to make is I'm going to be interested to see what happens in the next three years because, I mean, I've seen Bengals fans telling each other, oh, yeah, we can keep the band together. You know, we can keep, you know, uh, uh, both of our, you know, top wide receivers. I'm not so sure about that anymore. I mean, it, it will take some doing to afford two top-of-market wide receiver you know, contracts in the modern market. I mean, you guys can disagree with me, but that's, that's, I think they could do it, but it's going to come at an expense. Is it doable? Sure. It's doable. But how much of the rest of your roster are you going to have to gut in order to do it? Right. And at some point you're not going to be able to connect on go balls every game. It's just, you know, it's, it's just not something that you can do for 17, 18 weeks, right, all the time. Like you said, you had a historic season last year, and, I mean, literally historic, you know, for a rookie a rookie wide receiver. And they threw a ton of go balls, and they just connected on them, and it worked. But that's not always going to work out that way. And then if you don't have enough balance on the rest of your roster, when that start, when you have a game or you have a stretch of games where that's not working, what you don't have anything else to lean on at that point, right? You're, you you the balance being has tipped too far in one one side and you can't get it back to the other side. So, yeah, could you do it? Sure. I think it's doable, but I think we've seen instances um, around the league of where, you know, maybe it wasn't specifically, you know, two top wide receivers, but where teams have tried to keep whatever they thought the strongest parts of their their team together, maybe to almost to a detriment, you know, contractually and you can just get yourself out of whack. You can just get yourself out of balance. And then if, if whatever those strongest parts of your team aren't functioning at that peak level consistently, if there's any kind of drop off or lag period in there, or God forbid you get an injury, um, then you don't have enough balance on the rest of your roster uh, to be able to stay afloat. And I think that's one thing we certainly have seen the Ravens, you know, 
try to insure themselves against from last year. It's like just building in multiple layers of depth at these different positions uh, to, you know, obviously they know that injuries are going to happen. They certainly saw the extreme end of that last year, but I think, you know, Eric DaCosta and others have talked about it. Like, look, we just want to build in as much depth as we possibly can. Quality depth, not just depth for the sake of depth, but quality depth as we can, because we know what can happen when you get hit to that extent. And then, you know, you just can't, you can't stay afloat at a certain point. They did for a long time. I mean, they were eight and three. Um, but at a certain point, it just becomes hard to stay afloat. And so for, for the Bengals or for the Rams or anybody else, you know, who, who had that kind of success and had really good injury luck, hey, good for you. Good for you. But it doesn't last. You know, that's just the reality in the NFL. It doesn't last. So you better have some balance for, for when that time comes. Well, and I, I told the Browns fans this last year, and, you know, I would tell the Bengals fans this year, the real fun starts – when you've been good for three or four years at a time, right? When that first wave of highly drafted players, you know, it, it hits contract time and you've been drafting in the twenties for several years straight, you know, and can you stay good at that point? That's when it really gets tough. And, you know, it, it it's one. It's it's difficult. Don't get me wrong. It's difficult to bootstrap a team and to to kind of get all your ducks in the row to get in the playoffs and be competitive from the lowest of lows. But to stay there is something that so few teams have managed to do for any length of time. You know, and probably the same small cadre of teams have managed to do over long periods of time. And Ravens are one of them. You know, I, I, I grew up in Redskins country. <laughs> yeah, for, for whatever people, you know, want to criticize the Ravens approach for that. I mean, and I guess you can you can look at the recent, you know, playoff uh, situation as, as people do. But to your point, when you look at where they've by and large been drafting back end of the first round, you know, mid to late twenties, but to still be, uh, to to put yourself in a position to win enough games to get into the playoffs or at least have an opportunity to get in the playoffs to do that over a sustained period of time is very difficult to do. I mean, I think what we've seen with these teams that we're talking about is they go the other way. They go through the other cycle where they kind of have a really significant down period and they're able to uh, acquire that higher draft capital and then they build themselves up that way. Right. So, yeah. I mean, there's different ways to do it for sure, but I think most fa most fan bases, I think if they're being honest with themselves, I don't know how many people are being honest with themselves. If you're being honest with yourself, you're going to prefer the position that the Ravens have been in from a fan perspective, as opposed to saying, hey, we may have this really, this really magical one year. Maybe we can sustain it for even two, but then getting to that third, fourth, fifth year, like you said, beyond that fourth year, and then we just go in the tank, right? We're like a two-win, three-win team. People are like, yeah, that's okay. That's worth it. No, nah, it's not. <laughs> it's not worth it. I don't think they're being honest with themselves. When they say that. Well, not to mention, you know, how many times have we said to ourselves, this coming quarterback class is better, right? And then anything could happen the next year. You have no idea. You know, uh, uh, injuries, just people falling off of a cliff. 
I mean, just when you look at the the, the, the QB rankings you know, for the draft at you know, six months out, 12 months out, whatever, it's, it's all over the place, right? You know, so so there's just so much luck involved in the draft in general. That, that, that And also, it's tough to be bad on purpose. Careers are short in the, in the NFL. No player wants to waste a year of their life. They don't want to damage their long-term earnings. There's all kinds of reasons why, like, baseball-style tanking is just very difficult to do in the NFL, you know? Your own players and coaches are going to push back against you if you're a GM or, 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 or a head coach who wants to play that way. And frankly, you're going to have a hard time, you know, bringing people into your organization if you have a reputation of, of someone who's willing to ruin the careers of the people underneath you for something as cynical as that. Well, anyway, we should probably take pity on your, uh, uh, you know, audience and not have this go too long. But hey, uh, our audience knows the deal. They know what time it is. <laughs> <laughs> they know getting an hour and a half, two hour pod. That's the norm. They were surprised a lot last year when we started doing like 45 minute hour. But they were like, what's, what's going on? Y'all all right? Everybody OK? <laughs> but to, to, you know, kind of tie things up, at least for me, and, you know, we can go around and, and I'd love to hear some kind of parting thoughts from you guys as well. But um I'm, in, I'm enjoying the direction the Ravens are going in. I love contrarianism of this team. That's part of the reason I hope you know, Roman hangs on and, and, and you know, is able to produce a good season. We can kind of keep going with that experiment. Because I see that this is a strategy that, to a lesser degree, lots of teams are using and with good success. It's one that I think the economics of are going to get better as, as more and more teams just keep plunging down the wide receiver kind of maximalist road. Um, and uh, it, it's going to lead us to some fun schematic places of how do, how do we take all of these you know, big-bodied men that we, we've, we've brought in here with versatile skill sets and use them simultaneously on the field. So, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's fun from a player perspective. It's fun from a team building perspective. I'm looking forward to the season. Well, yeah, let's go around. I'll go to you next, Chris. What do you, what do you think, man? We, we, we've talked about a lot of different things here, but I guess as we, we try to land this plane, um, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I love the way that the, the team construction is going. I mean, obviously, when you look around the NFL, you can poke holes at every single roster that's in the league. And I think the one glaring one right now is – the wide receiver position position because there are guys who aren't proven yet, but there are exciting young guys. So I would rather be in that position than have to worry about my offensive line. Like who's going to be the center? Who's going to be, you know, the left tackle Who's going to be the right tackle. I would much rather be in the position that they are over a lot of other teams in the NFL. When you just look at the landscape of it, it's not about, Oh yeah, the Rams won a Super Bowl last year by doing this, by, you know, F those picks. It's not about that. It's about constructing the best roster that you possibly can going into the season. And I think they've positioned themselves not just for this season, but also next season. They have two two big, like, major guys that are scheduled to be free agents next year. That's Marcus Peters and Lamar. That's a That's a pretty damn good roster to have with those two guys being your only notable free agents unrestricted free agents 
So they're positioning themselves to be successful for the long road. You know, all they have to do is just lock up Lamar, maybe add another wide receiver if they need to. But I, I, I love that the direction that they're going in. And like we've been saying on the show for a couple of years now, when this offensive line is healthy, they're they're just on another level compared to the other teams in the league because no other teams can do what they can do when the offensive line is healthy. So if we can finally get the offensive line to be healthy for 2022, I think a lot of these, these you know, arguments that we get and, and a lot of the, the Roman hate that, that we hear, I think a lot of that goes away because I, I really do believe it's more that this roster is more toward leans towards the 2019 season than it does the 2021 season for obvious reasons. Gary, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm just really, really fascinated about how um, these new tight ends will incorporate in the offense and what it means for where this offense is going. Um, I think if you look at it uh, from a standpoint of overall upside, looking at both of these tight ends, I don't think it's crazy or hyperbolic to say both of these guys have the talent that in a year, in two years, we could be looking at this offense as more of a base 12 personnel offense where, you know, most teams are playing 11 personnel more than any other personnel package. You could see the Ravens being a team that plays more 12 than anybody else and plays more 12 than they do any other, um, you know, personnel package. And I think, uh, and that doesn't, diminish the young wide receivers. It just puts them in more specialized roles. You take a guy like Devin DuVernay. Um, I talked about it in a, in a previous pod I did on Huddle, Huddle Up Films. Use him, simulate a kick return as much as possible in offense with him. Get him in positions where he can do what he does best and you know watch him pick up big chunk gains. You know, Just put him in those situations. Tylen Wallace is a guy who has that vertical element that can win in the air and play bigger than, um, you know, he's um, looked at size-wise. Put him in opportunities to do that in a specialized role. James Prochet, great hands, you know, knows where to be on the field, knows where to find the soft spots. Put him in those situations specialized role where he can win in those situations, but then you have all these kind of mismatch, uh, mixed match um, um, threats at, at tight end. So it's going to be interesting to see how they, they put this all together. You know, I was thinking about how this offense used to be built with um, you have a guy like Lamar and then you have a guy like Hollywood, you know, those are the big fat, those are the small kind of fast Ferraris. And then you got the 18 wheelers like Boyle and Ricard and you're mixing all these guys in, you know, all at the same time. Well, what if the new approach is, hey, I got the one Ferrari with Lamar and then I got uh, these a bunch of these SUVs, you know, mm-hmm. likely and Andrews. I got all these guys. So I got all these guys on the field at the same time. I can bludgeon you if I want to, but I don't necessarily have to do that. I have guys that can beat your a nickel defender. I have guys that can beat your linebacker in one-on-one situations. So now it's like really uh, pick your poison 
and, and see what the defensive um, coordinator is coming out and, and what he's trying to take away and kind of counter off of that. So, you know, just a just a very very interesting um, 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 kind of training camp we have coming up and to see how they kind of put this all together. I think that's a great point you made in there about kind of moving to a base 12 personnel sort of look. And I mean, it's a theme that runs throughout uh, everything that Caleb has been talking about, whether it was with us or whether it was with Ken, it's, it's this schematic shift, you know, from what the rest of the league is doing personnel usage shift from what the rest of the league is doing. I mean, you can remember after the 2018 season, Daniel Jeremiah, Daniel Jeremiah and others, I mean, he might have been the one that kind of was leading the charge, but the others kind of jumping on and say, hey, what the Ravens need to do going into 2019 to really pay off on that run game with Lamar is to build a track team, right? Build a track team around Lamar, get all the speed. And you talked about that, Kerry, but now it's like, all right, so if defenses are now going to play these two high shelves uh, and maybe, you know, they, they, they've got – you know, a lot of cover two, they've got a lot of cover four quarters, they're going to keep guys back. All right, hard for the track team to get behind guys. To your point, if we go base 12, maybe even mix in some 13, now maybe instead of having a bunch of Ferraris, we've got one Ferrari and a bunch of of, of Raptors, right? A bunch of Ford Raptors out there. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, they're fast, they're fast pickups. You know? So they've got the power, they've got the speed for their size, right, for the kinds of guys that they're going to be going up against underneath. And we talked about it earlier, like, hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna combat this heavy eleven personnel, really ten personnel looks when you think about it, right? It might not be true yeah. ten personnel with four wide receivers, but it's two by two detached. So it's basically like ten personnel. Whoever that guy is in the slot, he's playing like a wide receiver, right? He, whether he's one by by you know position designation or not. So if that's the direction that the, that the uh, the league has been moving, and it has been. Obviously, defenses have combated that with lighter personnel. Then, okay, we're going to come in there with our Raptors, right? And we're going to make you have to make some decisions with how you're going to match up that personnel. And you know, do you want to continue to live in that too high shell, like you mentioned earlier, Kerry, with the Brandon Staley's, who almost dare you to run the ball because we're going to play with these light boxes because we think we can play gap and a half and do all these different things to make it up. Okay, we'll see. We'll see if you can do that if we're going to run power at your ass 30 times a game. Right. We'll see if you can hold up, right? So I think that the thing I've always liked about this iteration of the Ravens, I don't remember if it was Roman or Harbaugh. I think it was Harbaugh who said it. It's like, look, we could try to be a cheap copy of somebody else, right, with what the rest of the team is doing. Or we can be the best version of who we are. And so I think they're all in on who they are. I think they have been. I think this is bigger than Greg Roman. I think this all starts with Harbaugh. I mean, this is his philosophy, right? He picks the offensive coordinator. So he this is this is kind of his vision of how he wants to play offense. Now he talked about, hey, when you've got a guy like Lamar, then you build the offense around him, right? You're not gonna say, well, we're gonna bring Lamar in and we're gonna make him fit this offense or that offense. No. You look at what he can do and you say, we're gonna, we're gonna supplement uh, and enhance that. So it, to me, I, I love that about them. I love the fact that they're they're trying to be the best version of who they are. They have a philosophy that they believe in. It's different than what is kind of the prevailing philosophy in the league. And I love it. I love the fact that it's different. And, you know, we're going to get a chance to see how it plays out this year 
And it's going to be super interesting, I think, to see because it's it's just one of those things, right? Where it's the uh, the what is the immovable object, the unstoppable force kind of thing. <laughs> We're going to see which one of these things kind of prevails over the course of the season. Um, so yeah, it's going to be exciting. But hey, I want to thank Caleb again for taking the time and being on with us and sharing this because I knew just from looking at the document you sent us, and obviously from from being on with Kim. But when I saw this thing, I was like, all right. This guy has put in many, many, many hours of thought and work into this, into this topic. Um, so thank you again, man, for being on. I really appreciate it. Um, Carrie, Chris, man, hey, look, we're, we're going to be getting back into it before too long. I guess we got a couple of more weeks, and then we'll be hitting our stride again, getting into year one, two, three, four, season four, deep cover, maybe. Oh, no, I can't keep the number. I think, it is. I think we started in – we started in 2019, right? Yeah. 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 So there we go. I got it right this time. Wow. That's unusual for me. <laughs> that's gonna that's gonna be fun. That's gonna be fun, man. So uh thanks everybody for listening. As always, don't forget to like, subscribe, download, tell a friend to tell a friend. And until next time, everybody be good out there. Take it easy. <laughs>